Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution and... I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Attract. Attract is a powerful marketing suite that enables you to spend less time on the drudgery of marketing and more time growing your business. Attract gives you the technology and the content you need to find the ideal prospect and turn them into your best customer. If you haven't done it lately, do yourself a favor. Visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of their award-winning software today. So again, welcome to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast, where it's my job to connect with the people who are helping to change, reshape, and lead this industry into the future, and to discern and dissect the information you need to thrive in that future. And I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. I've, I've wanted Aaron as a guest on this podcast for some time. Aaron Gordon is an outsourced risk manager and insurance agent with expertise in property and casualty insurance, risk management, consulting, and captive management. Aaron represents the second generation, which is really precisely the reason that I wanted him as a guest on this podcast, because he has something to say to the to the members of the first generation, but also to members of the second generation. This is an industry that as you're probably aware, as an aging population and a lot of agency principals who are prepared to think about moving on, perpetuation, transition, retirement, and um, in, on one hand, and also on the other hand, recruiting, hiring, maintaining, managing, guiding, coaching, people that are in that second generation so that they have the talent to run their agency. So that's why, in particular, I asked Aaron to be a guest, and he is a um, recognized spokesperson for his generation in this industry. Uh, over the past nine years, Aaron has worked with high net worth individuals, medical providers, jewelers, real estate developer, developers, and a variety of small businesses within uh, the insurance industry. Some typical include, uh, clients include large medical centers, aging care facilities, ambulatory surgical centers, and so on and so forth. Aaron received his bachelor's degree from the Cy Sim School of Business and is a licensed property casualty broker in New York and over 40 states in the United States. Very quick announcements. Before I introduce you to Aaron, if you'd be kind enough, if we've earned a five-star review, if you'd be willing to give us one, I'd be grateful. And if you would give us anything else, if you'd reach out to me at michael at michaeljams.com and share with me what I can do to earn a five-star review, I'd be very grateful to you. Um, and now, without further ado, it is a great privilege to invite you to listen to this conversation with my guest, Aaron Gordon. 
Aaron Gordon, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is a uh, definitely a bucket list. Definitely. Oh, so, bucket I list for it. me too, Aaron. Um, and so anyway, I am I'm serious about this conversation and excited about this conversation um, in part because, well, clearly what you what I think you bring to this conversation, uh, you are bullish about the industry and you're not 60 years old. I am as bullish as you can be about the industry. And I am 34 and a half. So yes. 34 and a half. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, in part, what I want to explore with you is the generational change that's happening in the industry. And because I have listeners and clients in, shall we say, very broadly speaking, both generations of which there are more than two, um, I'm uh, I'm curious about your take from both perspectives, the impact of this generational change, uh, obviously on the millennials and Gen Xers, but also on your parents' generation, your father's generation, the boomers. So, yes. so for starters, background, who the heck are you? Aaron Gordon. Uh, I am generation two at Gordon Companies. Our firm was started in 1968 by my father. My mother also works here. I'm the only child that came into this industry, born and raised in New York. Uh, don't know anything other than insurance. I've been doing this since I was in high school uh, in the summers and then when I was in college part-time. So I am bullish about the industry, not just because I don't have a plan B, but because I don't want to have a plan B. Uh -huh. And I'm the father to four beautiful children and uh, try to be a good husband to my amazing wife. Very That's good. who I am. Well, um, as you are perhaps aware. Think people have been saying things about this industry longer than you've been alive. That the independent agent is um, threatened or a dinosaur uh, or uh, falling behind or is about to be disrupted by the internet and so on and so forth. Um, and then there are also those who are boosters for the independent agency system who constantly argue that we've always figured it out. We'll never be in trouble. We're the best ever. So let's start with that. <laughs> you're, you're bullish on an industry that um, has survived, but admittedly, it, it has had to adapt. Um, I'm bullish what? on in the insurance, the independent insurance agency channel as uh -huh. it can evolve. So when I started in the interest of full disclosure, I didn't believe in it. Uh, I, the, we had many conversations, although I liked what we were doing. I felt that my parents were pretty much crazy for saying that a, from a product perspective, that people would value our products and the services that we offer. And B, that the internet was not going to replace relationships. And what I learned and what I've learned over the last 10 and a half years specifically is that technology is not going away. And I think that the agents in any, anyone in any industry, but specifically insurance agents, if you ignore technology, uh, I agree with those who say that it will die. And I think that the people who didn't evolve over the last 50 years uh, disappeared the way mm -hmm. that people predicted. But 
on the flip side, I have witnessed and been a part of conversations with carriers and agencies who didn't think that the quote unquote old school way of having relationships would carry the day. And on more than one occasion, more than a few occasions, they've come back and said that that hypothesis was wrong. And we need to work with agents. We might choose which agents we work on who will engage with us from a technological perspective or a forward thinking perspective, but eliminating the advisor and the agent, especially in what I'll call the more mature insurance purchaser is not mm-hmm. something I think that's going to go away. Okay. So I think that, um, you know, well, on both, there's a place for the internet, but advisory is in, and trusted advice is in more demand than ever. Uh, that's, uh, you, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth that, uh, so that there's there's a hypothesis. So I'm I'm going to spit this back at you and tell me if this is you know where your where your feelings are, where your head is. Um, that um, old school or new school relationship still matters. For relationship sure. is core, right? Okay, that's number one. Uh, number two, that while there was a, a fair amount of panic. Um, let's say over 10 years ago, well, but maybe you were still whatever coming out of school. Uh, there was a fair amount of panic that the internet would disintermediate the industry and eliminate the agent. And that hasn't happened. Uh, the industry's still writing as much business. Um, and that uh, that's the second point. And the, the third one is that, uh, I, I think you were leaning this direction, uh, the technology is, um, in fact, a potential aid or a support, a, a complement to the relationship building that um, is the bread and butter of an agent. For sure. So How did I do? I, I that, that was three, that three was points. Perf- that was. I I might actually, when I listen to this, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that last piece for sure. But I, the way I look at it, I'm a millennial. Mm-hmm. I use a ton of technology, mm-hmm. but I also have decided to make a career out of being an independent insurance agent. So I, I can't say that technology is going to replace us. But what I can say and what I spend a lot of my time doing is thinking about how we can leverage technology to enhance the customer experience rather than replace it. So that when people have claims and we call them, no robot will ever be able to provide that comfort regardless of the type of loss mm-hmm. or that that nuclear service moment than a personal phone call will. At the same time, if we didn't allow people to send us pictures or videos of their damage via technology, or if our carriers didn't allow them to receive their claim checks via ACH if they complete a form, or if we made our onboarding process impossible because we didn't have something as simple as simple, excuse me, as e-signature or online payments, then we would never get in the door with people. And what, what I think we've come to realize is that if you have intentional, valuable client interactions, person to person, then the rest of them are not relevant. I, none of my clients, and correct me if I'm wrong, care if they if I take payments online. 
None of them are walking into my office anymore, dropping off checks. So I can't have that moment where I get to shake their hand and smile. So right. it's actually better for me and for them if they just click a button and pay. So that doesn't take away from the client experience. That enhances the client experience because I wasn't gaining anything. Same thing with e-signature. Nobody wants me to come to, the, nobody's allowing me to come to their office to have them sign their documents because I would do that every day of the week because that's an opportunity to meet with them and have that personal relationship. If I'm not doing that, then asking someone to print, sign, scan, and return is far more burdensome and relationship damaging than sending them an e-signature click. Print, sign, scan, and return. I will admit I go absolutely nuts when I get one of those. <laughs> right? And, and by the way, there was someone who, who a couple of months ago, we had a renewal and he said he was visiting and every year, except for in 2021, he was able to come visit and he loves saying hello and he wants to bring the documents and hand me a check. And I said, please come. I will clear my schedule because those yeah. I would, I love that, but nobody wants to do that anymore. So why would I make you print something out? Um, okay. So uh, uh, let me, um, <clears throat> well, uh, allow me to ask uh, and get very specific. So, yeah, you're uh, you're of the opinion, wise, I think, that uh, technology can and should be used to leverage a relationship and deepen relationship and and facilitate a customer journey that's satisfying for them. What do you uh, think are important technologies in, in your portfolio? What's helped so, you do that? Number one, I think in the in the initial prospecting conversation, going from a fact finder call to, uh, and I, do I have your permission? Do you want me to name specific technologies? Whatever. Is that, yeah. So for instance, we work with a company called Canopy Connect. Yeah. Okay. Which, and, and it's, to me, it's a relatively inexpensive piece of technology, but the ability mm -hmm. to have a client send us 95% of the information that we need in the onboarding rather than trying to nail them down to a phone call while they're driving their kid in carpool. Now we still, uh, when we go to bind an account, I still believe in the video call or in the presentation over the phone, because I think that that gives the opportunity for questions. But in terms of onboarding forms, I mentioned e-signature, I mentioned uh, online bill pay, those three technologies and experiences to me are only relationship enhancers. Mm -hmm. Those are the big ones. Okay. Uh, those are big. You know, I, I, I'm not a big believer and people may or may not like what I'm about to say, but that's okay. I'm not a big believer in client self-service because I think that if the entire customer journey is on the computer and on the internet and via an app, then you are actually, I believe, stimulating people to just drive to the bottom line. Uh -huh. So on the commercial <clears throat> side, for instance, we don't allow, we don't do self-service certificate issuance. Got Okay. Uh, Let's talk about that for a moment. And, and, you know, who knows, maybe you'll be the recipient of hate mail after we publish this. Um, I'm from New York. I can handle it. You can handle it. Yeah. Um, you network. I know. I know you network. I know you hang out with other insurance agents of your generation, um, and I, I'm sure that you network with some who are strong proponents of self-service. Um, 
Now, taking out any self-interest that somebody may have. Uh, I, I'm curious about this one because I, I think that um, that part of the uh, technology chain is still hasn't really fully proven itself to me. I'm waiting for it to either get traction or not get traction. What, what's your sense? What, were the, what are the proponents saying about so, it? So I think that we have to split that question into two. I think that there's a difference between what I'll call insurance service and uh-huh. document access. So when Got I say it. that we okay. don't allow for self-service, I'm not talking about someone downloading their auto ID card or accessing a previously issued certificate of insurance. Got what it. I mean by self-service is they have a request for a change or don't know if they need a change or are not sure what the process is or how this transaction that they're making in their business or personal life impacts their insurance. Doing that via a bot, I think is detrimental to the agent. So if you, we have clients for whom we issue 20 certificates of insurance a week. Now, knowing agency management systems, and I know that you're, if not the top (laughs) guru in that, uh, close to it, it's not difficult to issue a certificate of insurance. And it's funny because we had a client who we onboarded them before a renewal and they gave me their their previous certificate list. And within a couple of minutes of our first renewal call, I got them their renewal certificates and they said, how did you do that so quickly? And my response was, I wish it was rocket science, but these people who had the exact same contract that just rolled over one day and we got the same, and it was the same policy number, I literally just pushed one button. So it's, I wish it was rocket science, but for us, a great example of this is what happens when they send a certificate request, specifically on the commercial side, and their coverage doesn't match? Or them signing this contract would be detrimental to their business because it has a waiver of subrogation or things like that that they may or may Mm -hmm. not be aware of. Our ability to quickly read that, and we're insurance agents, we're not, you know, neurosurgeons, but our ability to catch that and say, hey, I just want to make sure that you're aware of this nuance, which may or may not impact your deal or your contract that you're signing, or you don't have enough insurance or those kinds of things if we allow for self-service, we don't have those opportunities because nine times out of 10, if the self-service portal says, oh, you asked for a 5 million, your policy is only up to 2 million and they can issue a certificate for 2 million, Mm -hmm. they're just going to issue it out. And we would never know that it's quote unquote in violation of a contract or they didn't know what they were doing or we allowed for that. So that's, I think something that's, that's pretty, I don't want to say serious, but I think it's, I think it's a big opportunity that agents lose. I also think that a lot of people think that they want to do things like buy a new car, like lease a new location, like buy a new home. And if they could just quickly do it online, while sometimes it might be easier, uh, do they know the risk? They just added three cars to their family, you know, to their household today because their kids got their licenses or they had a good year. And we need to call them right away and say, hey, you know, why are you adding these three cars? Oh, you have driver, new drivers in your house. Yeah. Should we talk about your liability limit? Should we do things like that? Mm-hmm. And if it's just a bot that's then processing it, the agent loses that opportunity and forget about sale and revenue. So, 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 so I think you're saying that, 
I think you're saying that where the topic of conversation, where the subject is actually insurance and insurance decision-making, then it's wise for the agent to be involved. 100%. Like, I don't think any billing questions should have to require a phone call unless the client wants that. Right. It's all billing and open payables and cancellations and ability to rectify those or pay should all be done digitally because a lot of people do their personal or business bookkeeping after hours. And I don't really, yeah. and if I get hate mail or my parents don't like that they hear this, I apologize, but I really don't like when someone calls me about their monthly invoice at 11 o'clock at night. So I'd rather them be able to just <laughs> click and pay it. So yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, I've one more question on technology, Aaron. Um, futurists tend to say that technology is upstream, upstream of politics, upstream of culture, upstream of industry. And that if we can look at emerging technologies, we can get some sense of where, in our case, industry or specifically where insurance is going. Sometimes it's hard to predict, right? Um, but we're, uh, we're, we're in a phase right now where there is a, as you're aware, because you're involved in some of this, a tremendous amount of innovation in the insurance industry. Uh, between 15 and $16 billion of venture capital last year committed to InsureTech. And, um, in, uh, you know, I, I get inbound calls uh, for the podcast from InsureTechs, if not weekly, close to it. Um, and interesting, if I, you know, retrospect over the past uh, 12 or 14 months, um, well, about half of those are uh, um, fueled by uh, artificial intelligence because that's kind of the next, right? So when you look to, um, let's say, the next two or three years um, and, and begin to think about what technologies you can leverage to uh, grow and um, strengthen your agency, what do you see coming down the pike that you need to pay attention to? I I also see a lot of those in techs and some of them, what, what I think you'll find interesting, I hope you agree, is some of them that you think are never going to make it, make it. And the ones that some of them that you think are great ideas that are going to make it, uh, don't make it. But right. I think that for an agent, the most valuable technology, take the basics that we've discussed already, have to do mm -hmm. with the uh, evaluation and management of risk. So the ability for us to better qualify the prospects and the insureds, better risk manage them, because I believe that with increased technology, carriers are going to become more specific and expect more from their from the agent in terms of pre-qualifying risks. What I mean to say is when you didn't have access to artificial intelligence that could tell you about roof type and the last time a roof was updated or flood zones or the nearest fire station within two seconds, then carriers were tolerant of the fact that agents were just doing their best with the information uh -huh. that they had. But mm -hmm. I think that with the emergence of technology and some of it, especially the AI stuff is wild, what they can pull from construction type, uh, SIC codes, the view of how this business in particular is performing based on a myriad of data points that I really, frankly, it's above my pay grade and I don't understand. But mm -hmm. I do think that 
the carriers are going to say, we expect that you are doing, if we're going to pay you and you don't want us to go the technology route and we believe that there's value in the agent, you're going to have to earn, quote unquote, your commission via getting us better submissions. And I do think that, and I've had conversations with agents who unfortunately, by no fault of their own, have fallen victim to this. I think that the carrier marketing representatives are going to say to agents, you gave us bad submissions and your book was not profitable, not because right. there was a once in a hundred year flood, not because of that, because your CSRs or your bot or whoever's putting this stuff into our system or generating your submissions is not right. And because we're, you're, even if it's unintentionally duping our systems to write risks that we're not interested in, your business is not profitable and therefore your revenue is going to have to suffer with ours. Um, got it. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, number one, historically, the independent agency channels have been the best channel at um, front-end risk management. If you compare us to the captive channel or you compare us to the direct channel, um, it, it may be um, you know, arising from the relationship, uh, the, the gut feel, uh, the analysis that's done by a human. But historically, uh, our loss ratio has been uh, comparatively good. Now, uh, I think what you're suggesting is that the uh, carrier part of the industry is requiring that we up our game, and some will. Um, a previous guest on this podcast um, from the advisory industry has uh, indicated that carriers are very keen on analyzing their agency force for um, customer lifetime value and comparing that to the cost of uh, you know, customer acquisition. And, uh, and that, first of all, you know, their capacity to do analysis is uh, unquestionably better than it was before, but their, um, their uh, expectations, their, their, that once they do that analysis, um, well, that leads to a strategic decision that would be irresponsible for them not to make, right? For sure. Okay. And, but so, I think when you look at that customer lifetime value, and I, I love that term, I actually wrote it down, I very rarely take notes. I think that when you talk about the independent, people have been saying that the independent channel is going to die forever. And I was told that certainly a very small boutique family firm was not going to be around and people and the carriers were going to shut us down. I think that, and this is back to the comment on relationships, the carriers, it doesn't cost them anything to appoint agents anymore. Underwriters are sitting remote anywhere. There's service centers everywhere and everyone uses computers and gets them the submissions and they put them into a system. So whether I'm 10 times my size and therefore, therefore they're getting 10 times the submissions from me or they're getting the same amount of submissions from 10 agents, it's about the quality of those submissions. And I think mm -hmm. that to your point, the agents that work with the carriers and get them the business that's the most that provides the most customer lifetime value per client, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. will be the ones that the carriers want to work with, regardless of how many of those you give them. So if you speak to the average carrier, it used to be how many submissions are you going to give me? I say to them, do you, I'll give you a hundred that you don't want to write, but you don't want that. It's just bad for your system. It's bad for all of our numbers. You'd rather me go 10 for 10 this year and give you your 10 of your dream clients 
and not bother you with the ones that you're not interested in. Is that and the messaging? Are, 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 are you getting receptive uh, uh, response from the, the carrier representatives? Mostly, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because I think the carriers are seeing hit ratio and, as you said, cust customer lifetime value. And if I just, for instance, I'm not a big fan of comparative raters. I think that there's a place for them in mm -hmm. really small business, but it just incentivizes the agents to go to the lowest common denominator, give the cheapest product. Mm -hmm. And what I found and spoken to, I've spoken to many carriers about this and their development of their, uh, of their portals, a lot of agents just to write that piece of business will jerry rig the system. I'll give you an example. We work with a carrier and based on a myriad of data points, certain accounts get referred and certain you can quote bind issue all online. And so one of the glitches that I caught in their system was you would put through an account that had to be referred. Let's say the building was built before 1950 and that's one of their referral points, right? So yeah. I get to the last screen and it says your account has to be referred. I hit Y and it would say the building was built before 1950. So the glitch was if I went back and put 1951, it would let me issue it. My suggestion to them, and I'm happy that they implemented it, was I can go back and change this to 1951, but the computer still makes me refer it so that the underwriter can see that I changed it and they yeah. can actually do the research. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, sometimes the technology backfires on the carrier too. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to segue this into a, a slightly different direction. Let's talk about the generations. And there, there are a few key points here. Um, first, let's talk about hiring. Um, as I know you're aware, the average age of agency principal is not your age. Um, and uh, the, I'm getting average age, the average age of the insur uh, insurance industry employee is not your age. Um, we're in an aging industry and we want to be able to attract talent, high quality talent. We're competing with, um, well, at this point, everybody. <laughs> I don't know if any industry's not complaining about the lack of talent and the so-called great resignation. Um, so from a, from a millennial perspective, from your perspective, what do you think we need to do as an industry to attract the best and then and then to retain them? So I think that this one goes back to what we've been doing, what the message used to be. And I think we have to go back to it, what the message was 50, 60 years ago. And that was that mm -hmm. the insurance industry, specifically the agency side, mm -hmm. is, I would venture to say, the best quality of life and lifestyle to income that there is out there. So for to, to really speak to the millennial, uh, yeah. most insurance agencies won't have ping pong tables and have kombucha on tap. However, I'm looking you for your get that, beanbag chair there in the background. I don't see that either. Yeah, but. yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, so you won't have a pod with a beanbag chair and a whatever right. in the agency, yeah. but what you will have is a stable industry 
where you can earn a very nice living, especially if you're on the production side. And if you do it well and you're willing to work hard, mm -hmm. you can most of the time, unless you're a terrible person or just can't get the, the sale ability, mm -hmm. you'll succeed. You might not have a private jet. It's rare, but you'll have a better life and lifestyle than your friend. And I have many of them. I live in New York city and went to a, went to a private school in Manhattan. So I have plenty of friends that either a went to law school and then grinded it out for 20 hours a day in law firms when they started. And, and maybe discovered they didn't love it as much as right, they, right. And as much as their mom and dad wanted them to. <laughs> okay. And so they may, they may drive a nicer car than I'm driving, but I can still drive a car and have a very nice life for my children and my wife and my family. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that the, the lifestyle, I think that people, uh, there are people who go out there saying, well, why did you become an insurance agent? And uh, they say, because I looked around and I saw that every insurance agent that my, that my parents knew was able to play golf whenever they wanted. And, it's, it's still you know, golf. It's, it's still, still golf, golf, right? But, but so, so the, what's the millennial version of that? The millennial yeah. version of that is everyone likes to talk about work-life balance. Yeah. Is there any industry when you can make as much consistent money and have the lifestyle that everyone, that every millennial claims they want than the insurance agency channel? I don't think okay. so. Okay. I really right. don't. All right. I'm going to narrow it down. So now uh, I'm going to go to the next logical question. Not all agencies are the same. Um, <clears throat> one um, might be um, functioning like it did in 1995, which was actually a, a pretty cutting edge agency in 1995. Good business systems, got an agency management system, but has a little sense of being stuck, right? A well-run professional agency that's where, where the agency principal is perhaps worried he's falling behind and may, maybe thinking seriously about those inbound calls from a private equity firm. Um, and another agency owned by, a let's say, a boomer also um, has cool tools, right? Cutting edge technology. Um, what, what's, what's the difference? What, what is it that, um, th that would make an eight, like what would make an agency attractive, not only um, in the recruitment process, but attractive to a millennial in the uh, ongoing day-to-day -day operations? I think it's one of two things. The okay. first is obviously the agency that's on the cutting edge. Everyone thinks is cool and hip and they'll love to be able to produce for an agency that, or work in an agency where all the technology is there. But the, the, the other side, which might be even more attractive when you look at the psychology and everything else that's talked about my generation and the generation after mine is the ability to make a difference in the firm and say, as long as the principles are not stubborn and stuck. It, people ask me how I made it work with my parents. And the answer really is that I didn't tell them that what they were doing was wrong or bad because it did give me a pretty nice life and did give me a pretty nice book of business to lean back on and do the things I'm doing. And they eventually said, we realize that what you're doing for your generation of clients and prospects mm -hmm. is not, is not opposite our vision. It's just a different implementation. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, 
they don't care that my clients, the first time I pitched my mother on e-signature, this is a great example of technology. She, right. Her initial response was, that's not legal. There's no way that that's valid on insurance. There's no way that an insurance company will accept that. And so I could have said, no, you're wrong. Instead, I went back. I did some research. I spoke to some carrier partners. I spoke to the, I spoke to the New York insurance department. I did some research and I found out that she was in fact right two years before, but that at the time, the industry and the legal industry were more receptive and authenticating the e-signature pitch. So I went mm -hmm. back to her and said, here's what happened since I think you last looked at it. Here's why it is legit and it is legal and it is authentic. And here's, you know, at the back of an Adobe sign or we used InsureSign for a while. Here's how we verify that that person did sign it. And here's the, the legal backing for why it's legit. And she said, okay, great. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Okay. All right. And had um, she not, right, we would have had a really difficult time working together because there's no way that my contemporaries would have hand signed everything. Right. Um, so let's, let's dig into this one a little bit. Um, I, uh, it, I, I realized that you know, like your um, previous generation, your folks, they still run the agency, right? They, they, 100%. They, they, they run the agency 100%. Um, I've got, uh, I've got a number of private clients and members of my mastermind group that are second generation in various different phases. Uh, they may, uh, work for the first generation. They may be, uh, I've got clients who are preparing to, um, for the transition and taking over. And I've got clients that are, in their first, um, let's say, one to three years of now having signed the papers, and you know now they're paying their parents and uh, and running running the agency themselves, and they now so now they get to make all the decisions that they um, perhaps were wishing they could could have made a few years earlier. Um, and, and they have the burden of those decisions as well. So there, there's a lot going on. Now, I realize that, that some uh, boomers, um, you know, will uh, sort of, they'll do the math and they'll say, no, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to saddle you with that burden. I'm going to sell to a private equity firm. But not all, uh, not all. Uh, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of second generation transition going on. What would you say? to uh, a millennial who is second generation and either has recently or is contemplating um, ultimately the ownership of the agency. So just to clarify, in our agency, my parents own the agency still, and I'm very happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the day-to-day -day operational management mm -hmm. uh, comes, from, comes to my desk. And what I've discovered is making decisions and having quote unquote power is not always as great as you think it's going to be. And so I appreciate the fact that we have that check and balance. What I would say is if you worked, I think that the, the transitions that are successful are the ones that really worked in the agency before. That doesn't mean you have to start 
that your first job has to be in the agency like mine, or even your first job has to be in the insurance industry. Right. But I think that there has to be a certain amount of time where the next generation sees how the agency ran and whether they decide to do it that way or not. You know, my mother still handwrites all the checks out of our operating account, not our premium trust account. Those are computerized and I handle that. And people tell me it's crazy. And I say, you know what? A, she's really good. Our books are very clean. B, her checks of her hand, if people say handwriting, her handwritten checks have been deposited for the last 50 years. None of our producers complain. None of our vendors complain when the checks clear, when they get deposited. Mm -hmm. So I may do it differently because the thought of handwriting checks makes me nauseous. But, you know, I see how the books are run from the hand. And then I went to her and said, here, by the way, in case you're wondering, you know that sheet that you have, you can make it an Excel spreadsheet so it's constantly tallying itself so you don't have to go hand hand tally it at the end of the month. And she said, gee, that's pretty good. I never thought of that. But if I didn't know how our books were run by hand, then God forbid something happens to my mother, I'm in big trouble for that first yeah. Yeah. six to 12 months, I think. Um, l let me toss this one at you. This is a fairly common problem. And I, I don't know if you're having to deal with this, or, but either way, I, I like a millennial opinion on this. Um, a common experience for second generation owners is that they um, very quickly um, find themselves in a, in a radically different relationship with the rest of the team who might be 20 or more years older, who may have worked in insurance for 20 or so years longer than the second generation, um, and of course had relationships with the first generation. Um, and so they find themselves in a, in a leadership position of people who have more experience, more business experience, more life experience, and are 20 years older. How, do, how, how should a millennial deal with that? I'm going to tell this story, and if it gets me in trouble, we'll just go with it like everything else in this uh, in this conversation. <laughs> when I started in the agency, my parents didn't let me touch the phone unless no one else was going to answer it, and I didn't have an email address. So I thought they were crazy, but I did all the filing. Right. Uh, I have a notebook that I cherish that my father uh, lectured me every single day at 4 o'clock when I worked my first two summers. We closed the door, and I have a notebook about what's an underwriter and what was Lloyd's. <clears throat> you know, Lloyd's Coffee mm -hmm. House and everything like that. <laughs> Some of it, most people will say is not a, you know, it is not a value. But for me personally, that was obviously a value. And we have a CSR that's been working with us for, I want to say 30 years now. So when I came into the business, it was this awkward interaction because here was a lady who I used to drive crazy when I would try to photocopy my brother's face when we would visit my parents' office in front of her. Uh, and now I'm the guy who's technically a Gordon at Gordon companies. And I would say other than some things that my parents have told me personally and professionally, the moment where I really felt pride was, uh, I think it was three years ago now, right before the holidays, she walked into my office. And by the way, I didn't have my own office until we moved offices. And because I was just on the phone so much, it just made more practical sense. But I don't you know, right. I think the private office is something that makes me better than anyone else. She walked into my office with an Amazon gift card 
And she said, I got this for you because I want you to buy something for your kids for Hanukkah. And I just want you to know that I am so proud of you. And for me, uh-huh. uh, I pride myself on trying to be the first person in or the last person out, mm-hmm. you know, barring meetings. And for her to tell me as technically my employee at that point, that she was proud of me and she was proud of the effort that I had put in. Right. And to be candid, I know that there were times when I took uh, my last name as an ego uh, where she complained to my mom about me early in my career. And my parents sat me down and said, this is not going to work. This is not, you are Aaron Gordon, the junior account executive, and these people are account executives. And as long as you have junior before your name and everything else, there's a reason why. And you, you're going to go before they will, just so you know. And so when it came full circle and she said to me, the same person, and not that I held animosity, but that she was proud of me and that she was proud to work with me. I said, you know, that's an employee, quote unquote, that I'll have for life. It's something that I value because I said, I really think we did it right. And a lot of it was my parents. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that I always knew that barring something that I did to the company reputationally, or if I did anything unethical, which forgetting whether I would do that or not, which I pride myself on not doing, my parents Mm -hmm. just wouldn't stand for that. My parents would be there for me, but they would also tell me when I was wrong. So I've had to apologize to carrier reps. Uh, We had a client who also was a vendor of ours Mm -hmm. and they didn't perform service the way I thought. And I let them have it. And my mother said, Forgetting about the fact that, by the way, this has been a vendor of ours since before you were born. Uh, they're a client of ours. And that doesn't mean that you're stuck married to them if they don't perform. But you can't speak to people that way, even if you think you're right or even if they're you're the client. So my parents were tough on me, but I really appreciate that. Okay. And I think that, so that not that, that not that I think every agency principal in the previous generation should beat up on their kids. Right. But I think you have to understand that going in. And if you don't, by the way, we had some first five years were tough. And I, I, I tell you, everyone you, and you I, had some conversations. Call me, huh? uh, the hardest person that got hit by this was probably my wife because we were newly married. We got married in June of 2010 and I started full time in August of 2010. Yeah. So I can't imagine hearing what she heard about her in-laws who happened to be her husband's boss, who happened to also then eventually be the grandparent of her children. Uh-huh. Uh, cause it was my parents, you know, this is her in-laws, right. <laughs> but, but we got through it and I think that we're better for it and our relationship is certainly better for it. And I think that our business is actually better off. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so that, that's a, that's a perfect, se- perfect segue to my last question, Aaron. Um, what would you say to the older generation um, that needs to recruit people? But let's also talk about the older generation that needs to perhaps manage the second generation. I think that, and this is not to sound harsh, I think the talk is cheap. And what I mean to say is, we all know that there's opportunities for all of us to make a lot of money selling our selling our agencies. And there are mm-hmm. people who uh, 10 years ago, my father and I were talking about this the other day, 
uh, some ver a very prominent agency came to him and asked him to buy his business. And we were just talking about just the numbers. And he would have lost a ton of money over the last 10 years on that deal, even though the valuation was crazy, forgetting about now that the valuations are higher, even at right. that. Uh -huh. But if, if you're an older principal, and I use the term older, not in a disrespectful manner, and you really want either your child or the person who you're grooming to take over your agency, you have to be committed to that. And you have to be committed to working with them and working through the hard times. And if you're not, everyone would be better off if you just sold and you'd feel better about it. And by the way, you wouldn't be stringing along this protege for five or 10 years just for it to blow up because you can't figure out how to make it work in the end. But it, it's a lot of work. And if your agency and your name and your legacy means something to you, not that money, not that you, not that it's evil to sell, but it, it's a lot of work. And you have to think about the fact that the next generation and my generation included just isn't cut from the same cloth that you are. And that's not a bad thing or a good thing about either generation. It's just like, you know, it's just not going to speaking to people the way that they did in the previous generation, expectations are different. That doesn't mean that you have to just drop your standards. But, you know, we have people that work remote sometimes because they're getting a new appliance delivered to their house and we have the ability to let them work remote. And I had tough conversations with my parents about that. The options, the, the voluntary, pre-COVID even. Right. Allowing people to voluntarily work remote. And what it ultimately came down to was a, they won't work for us if we're not flexible. And B, would you rather them just take half a day off and leave and go home and take the delivery? No, mm -hmm. I'd actually rather them be home the whole day and only deal with the delivery for the 30-minute period that it's relevant and work the other seven hour, seven and a half hours than the old school way of doing it, which is you put in for a day off and then I lost that production for an entire day. Yeah. And productivity. So Okay. Um, well, Aaron. I hope that I, wasn't too harsh. I, yeah, no, no, not at all. Um, I uh, I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us about um, your perspective. It's an important one that I think is um, it's a uh, murmuring conversation throughout the entire industry. Um, and I, I realize you're not a vendor. I'm not sure if you want uh, inbound requests or inquiries or if people have Anytime. questions. Okay, so if somebody does want to reach out to you, you've got a question. How should they do uh, that? Easiest way to reach me is gordoncompanies.com slash Aaron, which is uh, my little part of our website. Mm -hmm. Or I'll speak to the millennials, social media, NY Risk Advisor. That's my handle and that's uh, my little alter ego. Um, or Aaron at gordoncompanies.com. Just two A's at the beginning and IES at the end. Very good. All right, Gordon, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.